Hey guys, welcome to part two of our interview with John Jackson. In this episode, we focus on how John and the team he works with are making change in the American prison system. I guess it doesn't shock me, but it does in a way that you guys were offered nothing uh, in regards to programs. They're so vital, I guess, yeah, changing the mindsets of, especially like young guys that we work with, you know, there's from small programs such as like a two-day program or even a one-day program to light a spark. And then you've got your more intense programs that, you know, like our program Rebuild starts in inside the prison and then continues outside. And it's really interesting reading up on, on your program that you're doing over there. When did it click in your head that, hey, I think this is the path I want to take, creating uh, and working with people and creating one such as Hustle 2.0? Well, the entrepreneurship program was pulled away from us while I was there. So I felt abandoned again. I was like, well, crap, like here I go. I like, I invested everything I had in this program to create change here at Pelican Bay. I was a facilitator leading the groups. Uh, as a public speaker while I was there, we would bring the CEOs there and I got to stand up and run these events and then bam, it's gone. I'm like, well, fuck, every time I, I'm trying to do right and you, you're just not, you're just not making it easy for me. <laughs> and, but the founder of that program uh, Catherine Hoke, she she came up there back to Pelican Bay, and a group of volunteers they didn't want to give up on us. They 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 believed in us, and they started Hustle 2.0. Well, we actually named Hustle 2.0 at Pelican Bay. We named it, and mm-hmm. the question I I would say Hustle 2.0 was built around the question of if you die today, why would your life matter? And she asked us, you know, if you guys die today, why would your life matter? Is it because of your rap sheet, like you think, because you're some big, scary, like this is a like five foot nine woman who like comes in and scares the crap out of all of us. Um, <laughs> and just when she said that, like, why, why would your life matter? Like, you think I'm scared of your, your rap sheets or because you're some big, scary gangster? I'm like, well, yeah, you should be. But uh, <laughs> I did start to assess like, crap, if I died today, nobody would like for what? What would I be known for? And when she said, well, I'll give you, you mm. want the opportunity to be known for more. Do you want to create a legacy of of change? And I was like, well, yeah, of course I want that. And she offered that her and the, her and her other co-founder offered us that platform to use our voices of leadership, to use our voices to create change. And I dedicated myself to learning how I, had, I have a GED. I got my GED at the age of 25. I dropped out of the eighth grade. I I have no idea where a comma goes in a sentence. <laughs> so, but I dedicated myself to learning. No, that I, she, that's all right. <laughs> I'm still learning. To, I'm still learning to talk English. So, <laughs> you're you're, you're a good friend. company here. Well, I could say now I know where I. Ninety percent of the time, I'll put a comma where it goes, but we have an editor for that. Um, but I dedicated myself to learning how to write, to learning how to tell a story, to learning how to edit. And I busted my butt to, to to become one of the leaders while I was at Pelican Bay of our incarcerated writing team. And it paid off. When I was released, uh, the founders of Hustle 2.0 hired me on day one. The, for my first day out, I had a job as a writer. Gave me a computer, and I had a learning curve after 18 years in prison. I'd never had a computer before, so... I had a huge learning curve, but I knew that this is what I wanted. This is what I want to do. I want to use my story. I want to use my influence. I want to use my leadership skills to show young kids who think that they're invincible 
or think that they are so much different than I am that, you know what, you can change your life. You can come out here and be successful. You can come out here and whatever the hell it is you want to do. I love to ski. And guess what? I spend my whole freaking weekend skiing. And if that's what, that may seem ridiculous to somebody in Australia, but if you, I guess you guys have surfing. If you want to spend your weekend surfing that you may be sitting in a cell by yourself right now alone, wondering how the hell you're going to get out of there, but you can do it. And it's not, it won't happen overnight and it won't be easy, but you can do that. You can live the life that you want. You can be known for more than your rap sheet. You can be known for more than just a scary image that you try to put out there. When you got involved in programs and, 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 and obviously the work that, um, you know, the catch and Hulk was, was doing as well, a big, big, uh, admirer of the work that she's done and, and, uh, and over the, the years and how she took that path from, you know, corporate to, to, to going in and into working in prison. It's a big shift. But, uh, where I want to go with this is when you're in prison and there's X amount of you, uh, in a group and so forth, what is it like and what does it mean to you? When you have a group of CEOs or volunteers that walk in that door who, you know, let's face it, will probably be very, some of them will be very, very, um, live very sheltered lives and, and, and good lives and so forth, but never had any, you know, dealings or interactions with anyone that's committed crime and so forth. What does it mean to you as a group to have these people come in and go, I want to hear your story. I want to help you. And I want to, you know, um, spend some time with you and, and see where that goes. Like, what does it mean? To me, it meant being, being a human being. I, in prison, we're dehumanized. We're called inmates. We're, you know, you're given a number. And for somebody to come in and call me by my name, my first name, I'm always like, they're always, you always call me by my, fat, by my last name, by my, my CDC number, or my prison number, Jackson, T07. You know, I, it, it, it still feels weird today to hear my name. To say or somebody say John, I have 18 years. My name is Jackson zero seven. Um, so to have somebody come in, tell me that you have, I want to hear your story and for somebody to see you and tell you that you, you matter. And they're like, wow, you've, you've had it pretty rough. You weren't, you, you've been victimized, but you've also done some horrible things in your life. And guess what? I forgive you. Like you doesn't mean you don't, you deserve to be treated like this or you deserve to be dehumanized. It feels humanizing. It feels refreshing, and it's really it's it's really it's very emotional. It was very emotional for me to experience a complete stranger coming in and telling me that I have value and worth. And in these when these executives would come in, the what I would want many people, anybody listening to this, to know is that whether you have a criminal history or not, you're one step away from being. You have in your past been one step away from being incarcerated how many decisions have you made that you haven't been caught for you know or how many bad decisions did you make that could have resulted in you being incarcerated and i learned that from even some of the the highest ceos and executives and if i i won't tell you their names but i could tell you the companies they work for and you'd know who they are who have made some really poor decisions and who were not far away from being incarcerated who are very successful right now it's it brings, it made me feel okay with myself. It's like, oh crap, you, you didn't finish high school. You're the CEO of what? You didn't finish high school. You were a drug addict. You were an alcoholic. You drunk. You you have a, you were drunk driving and you didn't get caught and you almost what? Like that's that's like oh crap. I'm not the only one that makes mistakes. I'm not the only one that makes poor choices. Everybody does this. I just continued to make poor choices over and over again. The difference is they learned from their mistake. 
They learned from their poor choice. I didn't. I leaned into it and kept making poor choices. Mm, it's really interesting because we do that. Like we we bring companies into into prison and 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 for the for the same reason. Like we explain to them, like you know, they ask, "What well, what do I expect?" And go, you just expect people. They're just people. Yeah. They've all got stories. They've all got past. They've all got, you know, families, and they've all gone through different pathways. And and you might be able to relate, or you might not be able to relate. But the most important thing that you can do for them is just be there and show that you care and show that you're interested because they have a lot of time where they don't have anyone that comes in or and 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 it means so much to them. If someone has taken the time to listen to them tell a story or if they want to play sports with them, we do that as well and and so forth. And uh, just think that's really really important. But you make a really you make a really good point, and one that we speak about as well. It's about sometimes I talk about moments, and moments in a life like can just be can be a flash thing in a second. And and you know I always you know when I present and say to people and CEOs as well, like you're kidding yourself if you think your life or your family's life can't be changed in a moment. Yeah. It can, and a lot of it can be down to luck. And I know you know you're you're dead right when you say you know five millimeters left or right, and life could change. You know, for lots of people, many people that we speak to. But in their moments, you know, you're kidding yourself if you think that you're, you are, say you're father, I'm a father of, of kids. I don't know what my kids at the age of 18 or 19 aren't going to make a decision, you know, to get in a car, to do something that, you know, that's, that, that might not even be their decision. It might be a group decision, but they're in that decision. They might get into a car, they might do that. And the consequences of that drive or the consequences of something that they do won't lead their life to be torn upside down in a, in a second. And not just their lives, their families' lives and, and so many, and, and, and it could be your victims' lives and so many lives just suddenly their life changes. And it's just a moment. Yeah. But, you know, you can be quite lucky in them moments and you can learn from, as you say, or you can continue, as you say, to lean into them as well. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in that as well. And, and I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with young people in prison who've had a moment. You know, they've had everything behind them, good life, their families and so forth. And in a moment, a decision, it's all changed um, forever. Um, and they're doing well now, but it's always there. And they've had to come through adversity to get to where they are now as well. So I'm really, I really agree with that. I just wanted to say that because I think it's, it was a great point that you make and something that we, we feel very strongly here as well in the work that we do as well. It's just why we bring you know, people into, into prisons. D- did that activity, stepping up to the line, was that something that was brought in? Is that, was, that, was that happening at Pelican Bay? Because I've seen that in action um, through videos and so forth. I've seen Kat do that in action. And, and, uh, and um, we had a little bit of an experience of it, Mark, um, last week when we were so lucky to be involved mm-hmm. In, um, in that session with, with Kat and, and John. That is really interesting because that's where you see these CEOs and executives putting their guard down, really reflecting on their life um, and, 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 uh, and stepping up to the line. Do you want to explain a little bit of that? So um, how, how it kind of works and what comes out of it? Yeah, that's, um, we did do that at Pelican Bay. And initially the officers and the administration of the prison didn't want it to happen because not that they didn't want it to happen. They were worried about what the outcome would be because you, you bring up this exercise brings up a lot of emotions, a lot of your past, and they're worried about how are these people who have been incarcerated for all these years going to respond and react when you ask these questions. But Kat does an amazing job of leading it. And I actually had the privilege of leading that exercise while I was at Pelican Bay and the one that you experienced uh, last week. And the questions are very simple, but you get to see what you have in common is the basis of the exercise. And you stand on the opposite, you stand 
and in COVID you won't do it anymore, but you stand six inches apart from one another. And then you take five steps back. And if something, if when a question is asked, if it is true for you, you will stand up and you don't, the rules are you don't look at the ground, you don't look, you don't close your eyes, you don't look above, you don't look around, you look the person across from you directly in the eyes. And you just, it's very awkward at first, but it's, it's just think of the last time you stared, stood and looked at somebody in the eye for five, uh, 30 seconds and didn't break eye contact. It's very awkward. But once you lean into it, it becomes, you are able to connect with that person and see them. And then a list of questions, you know, like uh, some of the questions that will bring you together are, I've had one too many to drink and got behind the wheel of a car. And almost every one of our CEOs and executives steps to the line. Because they, and all it takes is, you know, like you said, Mick, five millimeters to the left or five millimeters to the right, and you've taken out an entire family. You've killed, an, you've killed someone, and you are in prison. You are on the, uh, and now we, what, we try, what it tries to exhibit is you're standing six feet apart, but, I mean, you're standing six inches apart, and that's all it would have taken for you to be standing on the, uh, not on the CEO side, but on the incarcerated person's side. And I think it really hits home. And then to ask, then for the CEOs to see when we ask questions like, you know, I lost a loved one to gang violence. I heard gunshots in my neighborhood every day. I learned at the age of 18, I couldn't trust anyone. I learned that it was better to keep my feelings to myself and keep my mouth shut. All of our guys, all of our incarcerated guys if, that are listening to this right now, I'm pretty sure that they're, they'd be stand, they, I know they would be standing at the line for those. They heard gunshots in their neighborhood every day. They learned to keep their mouth shut. They learned before the age of 18, they couldn't trust anyone. They have engaged, they, you know, they, they've drank alcohol, they've used drugs, that they've lost loved ones to gang or criminal violence. They'll be standing at the line and saying these are true. And sometimes it, well, it, it forces the person standing there to think about like, crap, I, I've had a pretty rough upbringing. It's no wonder I am where I am. And then every once in a while you will see, you know, I've been incarcerated. And then you'll look across the line at the CEO or executive and you'll see them standing at that line as well and be like, well, crap, that's, how is that? And, they, and then to see that they, they were incarcerated as well. It may not have been for years and years and years, but to see while they had handcuffs placed on them as well. And I think the question that hits home the most for everybody is when they do the, when we do a countdown of the age I was first arrested. And the youngest I've seen is four years old. One of our guys was, he's on our writing team. We, you know, I was arrested before the age of 18, 17, 16. And you step off the line as your, your number is called off. And when you start getting to like seven, six, five, and then we, and you see that person standing there by them, by themselves, that's really like four years old. Like this, what we say is like this is America is a land of second chances and freedom. And you're like, imagine handcuffs small enough to fit around this, the wrist of a four-year-old kid. Like how, how, how do you arrest a four-year-old kid? And we tell the volunteers or the CEOs and executives, like the color of your skin determines whether you get a timeout or you get handcuffs that size. That's the difference. 
you get into, you know, you know, Billy over here gets into a fight on the playground, he gets a timeout. You know, a little black kid or a Mexican kid gets into a fight in the playground, he goes to juvenile. It's um extremely powerful activity um and uh yeah would you know would anyone having a look at as well so and yeah you know how can you fathom putting handcuffs on a four-year-old like you know like even that thought process is crazy and it should be crazy for our listeners to be listening right now thinking thinking that just taking a second to think that that actually has happened not can has happened you know um is just yeah mind-blowing I want to bring it forward a little bit now and, and, and really kind of talk about, you know, Hustle 2.0. And, and obviously this will kind of align a little bit where we were continuing in your journey where you're kind of, you know, um, squaring up, you know, you're, you're, you're still stepping out. I think we want to focus a little bit on how you eventually got to, you know, step out and, and, and through your release, but also then the work that you were doing at 2.0, Hustle 2.0 at the same time, you know, um, coinciding with that as well. So, um, talk us through a little bit about where you actually were facilitating the programs, Hustle 2.0, you were doing that in the prison, and, and, and how then that led to you continuing your pathway to um, squaring up, being released, I suppose, from prison, but also you know, from this whole gang affiliation and lifestyle that you've had. I was facilitating the the program while I was incarcerated at Pelican Bay. We were we would get to meet up every day in the in our in our education room to do this writing, and Catherine would lead us and bringing up the topics. And um, what got me it it started to build. Like it 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 really when I think back on like what we were doing at Pelican Bay, it was it really was revolutionary and groundbreaking because we had gang leaders there who had been released from the shoe after these are the guys I told you who did 30 plus years in the shoe and they're, you know, California had them locked up. They wouldn't let them, they would not let them out of the shoe because they thought they were that dangerous and not to say that they're not. So to hear them start talking about if you guys want to like, who's told you you had to do anything, you all have wanted to live up to this expectation of what you think we have of you. You've want, you wanted this, like we didn't force this on you. Um, if you want to step away, step away. But, you know, so the process of starting to make that real, to make that, um, to make it as something that actually exists, not this unspoken rule of, hey, if you want to walk away, just walk away. And, you know, what the homies are going to leave you alone and we're going to mind, you can mind your own business. Um, when it started to become, and it was given a name, like squaring up, like it was like a lot of homies were still hesitant, like, eh, it's not real, it's a trick, you know? Like, they're not really going to let you just walk away. You can't just walk away. Like, nah, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I know there's only two ways. There's only a handful of ways out of the game. You either eventually just wash out. You're too old. Nobody cares. You know, you die, you get killed or the one way, which was like to PC up and snitch uh, or debrief and basically turn your back on the gang, which also marks you for death. And to say now, well, there's this other path that you can go down. You can make it known that, Hey, I don't, I'm, I'm going to start to change my life. People were skeptical. I don't blame them. Um, when I made the decision, when I, when I finally made the decision, like, I don't want to do this anymore, and I started taking those steps, I was ostracized. I was threatened. Um, you know, homies didn't want to talk to me anymore. I was called all kind. Of, I've been called all kind of names while I was in prison. Um, but sticking to my guns, sticking to what I believed in, sticking to that I wanted to go home, started to lay the foundation for other people 
And the older homies who saw me finally said, they, like I think I told you earlier, like, hey, okay, if that's what you want, good, go home. You don't belong in here. They actually told me, you don't belong in here. You're, you've been a square all your life anyways. You've just been trying, you know, you've just, you've just been trying really, really hard to fit in with us. You don't really fit in. You don't belong here. We want to see you go home. We want to see you succeed. Right? And they, they coined it squaring up and they wrote it into a course. They wrote it for everybody to read. Like, look, if you want to go home, if you want to change your life, if you want to step away from the gang and criminal activity, you could do that. Like nobody's forcing you, but just know that, you know, you're, you're basically retiring. We call it the gang retirement plan. It's like you're retiring and you're there. You can't come out of retirement. You're not Michael Jordan. You don't get to come out of retirement. I love, I love the terminology, the first ever gang retirement plan. I think it's great. <laughs> There's no 401k involved, uh, and, but you know, yeah. <laughs> With when you're when you're running these courses, I know from my experience working with um, young guys in prison, sometimes it's hard to stay on stay on topic and to try and get them to see the end goal. With the guys that participate in your course, are they all there, ready, roaring to go? So I don't think I've seen a single person join Hustle 2.0 and be like, "I want to get out of the gang," like. I'm good. They're not. No, that's uh, that's not our end goal. And that course is not even until book six. We have twelve books, and six books in, we introduced that. If we threw that at people, book one, they would burn our books, and I wouldn't blame them. Um, it's a yeah, yeah. It's a pro. It, it is a process. It is a journey. It's not a one-time decision, and it's not something that we want to say. Um, like I say, I left the gang and I'm not a gang member anymore, but I never, I never like, I still associate with my gang. I still identify, it's, I shouldn't say that, but I still, my identity is still as that, but I'm not, I don't engage, I don't engage in gang and criminal activity. I look at it as this is my opportunity to show the yeah. world that, you know what, I was once a gang member. I was once this, and I still kind of, I am grateful for what I got, for the leadership skills, for the grit that I got from being a gang member, and I use that to create positive change in the world. So I want—I I don't want guys to say, you know, the gang never gave me anything. The gang, all it did was just bad. Um, gangs aren't good, but you can take the good from it. Like, mm -hmm. glean the good that you got from it, the leadership skills. Take the leadership skills, take the grit, take the determination that you got from it, and use it to create positive change. Um, when the guys come in, they're still they're still fighting. They're still holding on to that identity, and it takes a, it 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 takes a whole crap load of work to get them to realize that you have been both a victim and a perpetrator, and that it's your your decision. It's the decisions that you have made throughout your life that have led you to where you are today. You're not a victim. The system's not against you. Like I I could. I, for years, I played the victim. Like, oh, the system's against me. I got to do four more years in prison. No, I don't have to do four more years. I chose to do four more years in prison when I stabbed someone. I didn't have to stab anyone. I chose mm -hmm. to do that. I chose to keep myself incarcerated. So getting our guy, we start off with courses like criminal thinking, addiction and recovery to start getting them to start helping to get the realization of your choices can lead to your freedom. Your mentality can lead to your freedom. If you think you're a victim, if you want to play the victim, then guess what? You're going to be a victim. And you could stay in the victim seat. The victim seat is really nice because you get to be right. And when you fail, 
or you get sentenced to a, or when you are sentenced to a lot of time in prison, you get to be right. Oh, I knew the system was going to get me. I knew this was going to happen. Well, yeah, because you robbed somebody or because you did this. That's why. I uh, Just to be clear, I have my issues with the justice system. That, that's another podcast, is it? Yeah, that's a tall other podcast. But while I do this, I I do want to say I have my I have my issues with the prison and justice system. But I to clear be clear on why I do my work. I don't care to change laws. I don't care to advocate for um, for like law reform. I do it through changing guys' mentalities who are incarcerated. When one person doesn't recidivate, when they don't go back to prison, when they don't create another crime, I take a statistic away from a district attorney or a judge or a politician who gets to say that I'm a monster and gets to say that we're monsters and we can never be redeemed. So for every person that I that we the same thing for you, Mick and Mark, the work that you do, whenever you take a kid who would otherwise spend their life in prison and they get to do something great, like the guy, the first kid on your podcast, who now takes care of his kids, his 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 brother and sister. Guess what? He's one less statistic that a DA, a district attorney, or a prosecutor doesn't get to point to. Mick. Mac, what's in your mind? Uh, my wife's furious at me. Again? Yeah, again. What have you done this time? Uh, we don't have a chopping board. This is the thing. Right. So I'm just straight on the counter. On your marble. On your good marble. Your Italian marble. Marble? Granite. <laughs> Not sure yet. <laughs> But I tell you what, I'm making a complete mess. Well, you know what? What's that? I can. I'm the answer to all your problems. You have been so far, and I tell you, it's not going to stop here. We have an amazing range of chopping boards. We have um, cheese boards, chopping boards, different sizes that will fit that marble countertop that you are so badly destroying at the moment. You're going to save my marriage. I am going to save your marriage yet again. And here's the thing. These chopping boards, if you go to our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au, anyone can buy them. And here's the kicker. If we sell seven chopping boards per week, we create one job for a young person. Seven chopping boards, nothing. But the impact, massive. So if you're like you, Mac, and you're destroying countertops, and your marriages is on the line because you haven't got a chopping board, well, I tell you, Rebuild. That's where you get it. You know what? We do a lot more than just help young people in the justice system. I'd like to think so. We're helping relationships. Screw Dr. Phil. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that, um, Mm. from a conversation I've had with you previously, John, that stuck with me, is when you talked about Hustle 2.0, you talked about it as a lifestyle. And that's, that, that was a, when he said it to me the first time I thought about it, I was like, lifestyle and then he explained it to me and then i kind of was driving home after a conversation i was driving someone was going bloody lifestyle he's he's onto that you know like i was thinking yes and then i explained it but can you explain a little bit about that like that that war because i've actually spoke to air staff about some of the programs we do and, and what we do is seeing it as a as a lifestyle now from that like so i've blatantly stole it from you um still like an artist which you probably would have known from your old MBA um John so uh you know full disclosure but um but it really stuck at me and still does can you just explain like how that to a listener like what how can 2.0 hustle 2.0 be a lifestyle so I, I wish that we had set out to create a lifestyle but it was when we I sit here in the office and we have guys who are incarcerated call in and 
it was the best compliment that we received that Hustle 2.0 was their lifestyle. And being out here, I kind of feel like distance from prison now, but they get to, they, some, a lot of times they bring me back to it. Um, their lifestyle is basically becoming what we call pro-social and engaging in activities that create a positive change in the world. And instead of introducing pain and destruction into the world, we have, we give them pro-social activities and it sounds really nerdy and it sounds really official, pro-social. What the hell is pro-social? I'm not anti-social, but it's our guys engaging in healthy relationships with their families. We have courses on the five love languages where they learn how to, how to love their family the best way that they can in their language. If, you know, their love language is, um, words of affirmation we teach them how to get on the phone and tell their fan and give their family what we call a love bomb which is telling them how i feel by knowing you or something that you did makes me feel loved and appreciated and you are an amazing person um, we challenge our we in our courses we challenge our guys to do something that many people don't want to do which is be nice to a cop be nice to an do a do a random act of kindness we have it's called finding your generous hustle and it's doing random acts of kindness for people of another race, people of another gang, and especially for an officer. Because they really don't expect that. An officer really doesn't expect for you to tell them good morning and say, hey, thank you for doing a great job today. And our guys do that, and they log it, and then we have a competition where they engage, in, and the winner is called the kindness competition, the kindness king or queen. Um, and... It does. It becomes a habit and eventually becomes a lifestyle. You start looking for ways to do random acts of kindness, to start engaging, to start living amends for the pain and destruction that we've introduced into the world. And living amends, we say we take full responsibility. Our guys are learning through that lifestyle to take responsibility for their actions. And you will hear a lot of people say, I take full responsibility for what I did. What does that look like? What do you mean? How does that help the victim of your crime? How does that help your family? because you said some words, so what? You take full responsibility, so what? What does that mean? What does it look like? Does it look like you apologizing? Does it look like you volunteering your time to help somebody else who was in a current, who was in a similar situation it, that you were in at one point in time? Does it look like paying restitution? It becomes an action, and that action turns into a lifestyle. It becomes something you want to do every day, being being nice to somebody becomes a habit. That's good. And yeah, as I say, it stuck with me. It still does when you speak about it. It was just a different way of something, something so simple, like, you know, just the way you framed it and said it was, um, yeah, it's, it will continue with me, I think, for a while. So thank you for that. Words of wisdom, John, and that as well. So um, I want to talk to you about transferable skills. Mm. So something that I you have done in the past here when presenting is I've talked to people about would you hire a person, keep your hand in the air, would you hire a person that, you know, is good with money, can, you know, can um, run a business, can work flexible hours, including nights, you know, uh, can manage staff, you know, very entrepreneurial in mindset. And everyone keeps their hands up the whole time, you know, and then you kind of go, yeah, would you hire a, 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 a convicted drug dealer and hands yeah. drop? So I'll, just <laughs> I'll just explain what that is to you, you know? Um, so 
I'm really, I've, I've, for many years, I've been fascinated with like transferable skills and it's come from questions that have been asked. That was just one thing I used to use as an example just to get people thinking a different way. Um, and it was always fascinating then when you explained it, go, well, why can't we turn them skills of someone who obviously has these skills into something really positive, that they can use them in a positive way, but they don't even know that them skills themselves sometimes can't be used in a positive way because they're so used to using them in a way that's behind closed doors, that's sneaky, that's always got a, you know, an, an edge to it, but which, which makes it even more skillful in a way for me you know it's probably crazy people here but i just you know i'm fascinated by it and then we used to have people who say i don't want anyone employed that you know that robs cars and it would be a car dealership i said that's exactly who you need to have because they know the way around cars um and 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 wouldn't it be amazing thing to to teach them to do it positively you know what i mean and 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 use them skills in a good way You've mentioned it. You briefly mentioned this interview. You talked a little bit about your, you. You kind of glanced over a little bit um, around your transferable skills, and you've got them. I wanna, I wanna um, talk to you about that. I want you to, to chat to us about your transferable skills and how your life of being incarcerated, your gang lifestyle, and everything else has given you certain skills that enable you now to live the way you do now and impact the way you do now for others. I leadership. Uh, first off, my leadership skills. I know that being inside, being incarcerated all those years, dealing with a bunch of knuckleheads, uh, overseeing 200 people at a time sometimes, and running a building, multitasking, even though multitasking isn't advised, uh, but multitasking. And that transfers out here is that I'm able to get groups of people together and meet an objective. Like I can get a group together. I can get a group of people together from random backgrounds and get I, and I'm able to get them through the pre through our hustle 2.0 hustle guides effectively I'm able to bring Kat onto a call and have her run a forgiveness exercise and have everybody crying and forgiving their parents for the most for whatever happened to them um, some other my leader some others transferable skills like I, I used that leadership skill in the past to get people to engage in gang violence and to get them to engage in criminal activities and now I get to use that to get people to engage in forgiveness and get people to engage in pro-social activities like coming together and talking about uh, talking about how they can change or how they can make a change in their community or volunteer their time for Hustle 2.0 um, being I, I was a great I'm, I'm a good speaker I've always been able to go diplomatically speak to another race, speak to another gang. My communication skills, I have pretty decent communication skills. So now I get to use that to give a TEDx talk and talk about squaring up and talk about the gang retirement plan. So hopefully it spreads across the country. Uh, my entrepreneurial skills, like I don't want to start my own business, but I used to run gambling rings while I was incarcerated. That was my thing. That was my income. I ran gambling rings every day. If you, if you, Basketball, football, American football, um, where they where they throw a foot, where, they, where they're able to touch it with their hands. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would run all these gambling pools, and it it this it has, I had to be very organized. I had employees. I would give people a certain percentage um, to make sure that my pool was successful, to make sure that my gambling ring was successful, and put other people out of business, and. That entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, I failed a lot and knowing that the world doesn't end when I fail, I'm not going to die if I fail. Uh, it's going to hurt. It might suck. My ego might get bruised, but it's not the end of the world. It taught me to overcome. Um, I would say another uh, another one of my 
one of the ones that I love the most about myself is my perseverance and my loyalty. Over my 18 years in prison, I never turned my back on my gang. I was always very loyal. And now I get to provide that to my employer, Hustle 2.0. I get to, they, they get my loyalty. You know, the people that, the men and women that we serve across the country, they get my loyalty. And uh, sometimes loyal to a fault. And I got that from prison. I got that from my, I got that from being in a gang. That's one of the things that I'm grateful for that I got from that my gang gave me is my loyalty. Spending four years in solitary confinement, perseverance. Like people right now go through a lot in COVID. And I'm not saying that I'm um, not minimizing anybody else's experiences, but I'm, I'm built for this. Like my 18 years in prison built me for this. Like I get to walk out of my. Yeah, COVID sucks, but guess what? I could walk out of here, right? I could walk. I could actually walk. I could open my own door and walk outside. I got it pretty good. I didn't have that. I didn't have that while I was incarcerated. I couldn't open my own door, even if I was dying. I, they, I couldn't open my own door. So the perseverance and the grit that I got from my gang, from my incarceration, now, like, what's the like? We had a hard time getting on this podcast because we had a power outage this morning, and I could have thrown my hands in the air. I could have given up. You two could have thrown your hands in the air and said, well, freaking John didn't show up today. He, He's not going to make it. You know, we give up on him. But we're here. We persevered. We're And we're able to share our stories and get something out of it. So many of the guys who have criminal histories, who have been gang members, who have been drug dealers, they have crappy, What uh, our, my boss says, like, we have the same skills. We have that any CEO, any entrepreneur has. We just have poor risk management because we all got busted. I'm just not good at not getting caught. How many people has Hustle 2.0? How many people have you seen positively, like, you know, taking that step? And I know it's a long process yeah. and you might have certain numbers, but can you give us some kind of indication of, of how many you've supported and helped to square up and to, um, you, know, you know, make that move to, uh, to, to leave the gang and, uh, and live a different uh, lifestyle? Well, we have... Uh, um, pointing to an exact number would be a little difficult, but when I see guys' homework packs come in and saying that they have taken positive steps towards change, I would say it's it's in the hundreds. And at two of the highest security prisons in California, it's where we've had the most success. One of our highest ga- one of the highest is there has chosen to square up and has chosen to take this and push it and say, this is the lifestyle that you can live. You can live the squaring up and you can walk away and you can live a life that you can live the life that you've always wanted. And that's really inspiring. It's really, this is, these are the guys that I looked up to and wanted to be like, not in the good way. We have had Pelican Bay state prison. I don't think has ever had anyone been found suitable for parole by the California parole board. And we have had two, of our program participants found suitable by the California parole board and are out of prison. They had life sentences and they are no longer in prison. They have been free one for two weeks and one for three months, two to three months now for us. That is a big whoop at the only supermax prison in California. And the myth is the, the, the saying is that if you're a Pelican Bay state prison, when they come to see you for parole board, it's automatic denial. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you did. And, that can seem to be true. So for us to have guys, two participants who have been found suitable for parole and released is a big whoop for us. And they are still out here. They are doing, they are still doing good. They are doing great. It's great. It's fantastic. And, um, and what's the vision for Hustle 2.0? Like how many prisons are you 
at the moment are you in and how many are you looking to reach to and is that just us i think maybe you want to take on global and um, i know Catherine would be a very ambitious uh, lady so i'd imagine she would like to uh to take on this and, and spread it through the through the world because it is incredible you know because as we spoke about john gangs exist everywhere yeah. Yeah, they might have different levels at different extremes and different sides, but they exist everywhere, you know? So it's really important work that you're doing. So so what's the vision for it? Where is that now? Where you want to go to? Right now, we, in California, we serve, I think it's 17 prisons in California. We serve in uh, 18 different states, I believe. We serve in two pretty large uh, Department of Corrections here in the United States. Uh, and we serve in small groups across the country as well because we, we are a correspondence program, so we're able to reach anybody. Our vision is to serve anybody who is incarcerated anywhere. Right now, if they speak English, they can get. We can ship our books. We can ship our curriculum anywhere in the world. When that is our vision. We want to turn prisons and jails from places of pain and punishment into hope and healing. And that is our vision. Our vision is anybody who wants Hustle 2.0 that they can get it. Anybody who wants to change their life. Anybody who wants to transform their hustle. And that's what the hustle 2.0 is about. It's about 2.0 is a better improved version of something. So a hustle, having a hustle sometimes has a negative connotation. Well, we are taking that and we are saying that, you know what, this is a 2.0 version of a hustle. It's not, it's not the pool hall hustle you learned when you were a kid, you know, stealing money and doing all that, doing all the non-pro social things, but it is about changing your life and creating a positive impact and using your leadership skills for good. So if there is... Any jail, any prison out there, I don't care what country you're in, if you want Hustle 2.0, we're, we're, we're very well suited and equipped to get it to your, to get it to you. And we know we're successful. It's written by us. It's written by people who have walked, who have walked prison yards. They're not the authorities on rehabilitation. Of course, we partner with uh, psychologists. We partner with correctional leaders to make sure that we are evidence-based, to make sure that we have covered all our bases, but it's our voice that brings it to life. It's our voice that makes the difference. Well, you know, and it, it's proved obviously, you know, listen, you, know, you go ahead, Mark. It's your delay, your delay, it. Mark, yeah. is killing us. It's like you're in a different country. It's like we put you in a different country as well. <laughs> I had the power out of Me and John are all right. Yeah. You're, me and John are fine. It's like, uh, it's like yeah. you're, we put you in the worst country in the world <laughs> to try and get this link up. Go ahead, Mark. I will step back and you can have your 10 second delay. In. Oh, God. Um, but I'll, yeah, it is. Um, so even from the start of the conversation, uh, and right till now, it's like, um, I can see in your voice, you know, where, where you've come from and where you are now is there's still that same person with passion and commitment. And it's awesome to see, you know, you've, you've kept all your skills, but you've just pointed. Thank them you. In a and direction. for anybody, for the, for the people who are incarcerated listening to this, I just take a second to look around, look around at your day room, your cell, wherever you're at, like, is that where you is? really ask yourself, is that where you want to spend the rest of your life? Because if it is like, then don't ask for programming and just keep banging your head into that wall. Like though there's plenty of, there's plenty of cells. There's plenty of day rooms for you to spend the rest of your life in. But if you think that you have more potential, if you have more value than dying in a prison cell, then there are opportunities out there and it's on you to make it's 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 on you to partner with the people who are willing to help you to take that to create that change. And I don't I don't even I don't know any of you out there listening to this, but I've been around enough incarcerated people in my life 
and I've been around enough knuckleheads and screw-ups to know that you do have that potential and you do have that capability to change your life because whatever you've done, I've done it five times, probably six. So however many times you've screwed up, I've screwed up more than you. I've done it, and I probably did it better than you. That may sound like arrogant, but whatever criminal activity you were engaging in, I probably did it better than you did, and I made it out. And I get to live, I get to be on this podcast with two amazing people who are providing opportunities and take their opportunities, make use of their time. It's great. And, and, um, I think, yeah, as I said, it, the work that you do is, is, is so important and, and just reading true hustle to one hour. So now it's, it, we've been getting through with me and Mark and it's, uh, it's just, a, it's just an amazing read. And I think you've touched on it. It's because I can really get the sense of reading it through the eyes of the people that have experienced it, you know, that actually have walked it, lived it, eaten it. It's all there, you know? And I think that's where I can, you know, you can just see how much impactful, how how impactful that would be because, you know, it's just pure drawn on experience and, and, and years of knowledge and, and very lot of vulnerability and honesty in it as well. I think that's the really shining thing that comes true. Everyone is just putting it out there about what they've been through, how they've been through. And the way it's phrased and the way it's put there, it's also challenging. You know, it's, it's putting it up to people, you know, as well. So um, I was always interested in how it's received in the prison by, um, you know, the, the head of the gangs and so forth like that. Now, obviously, they won't read it, but they accept what you're doing. Because I think where I'm getting at with this is you really... I think the most really clever and the most important part about this is you called it something. You put a name onto this now. You shine a shine a light onto it. Something that was always in the in behind the scenes that might have happened. You might have got out of a gang by doing other things, and and maybe if you got out of a gang, people would have a perception of you as being a snitch or being something else. When maybe you didn't. You know what I mean? But you have really said, no, hang on, we're gonna we're gonna name this and put it out there so people know it's there, it exists, and we're doing it. Yeah, there's, it's definitely not accepted everywhere, but it is. It's respected. It's seen as, you know, there's resistance and there's pressure, but it's also, it's also there for the taking. It's like if you're willing, you call yourself independent, you call your, you, we call ourselves all of these things, it's, it's there for you and they will leave it there for you. Yeah, you're going to face some ridicule. You're going to face some, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be, you're going to stand out. That's for sure. But how bad do you really want to go home? Like, how bad do you really want it? Like, I, how many times have you sat in your cell and said, I would do anything to go home, but I won't do that. So don't say you're willing to do anything because anything implies that you will do exactly what it sounds like, anything. But if you have, you can't have a but after that or an exception. So they leave it there for you. Every, the, the gang leaders will leave it there for you to take. And, yeah, they're probably going to test you to see how strong your resolve is. And if you crack, then it just shows – if you crack, if you break, if you backslide, then it just shows like, yeah, you, it doesn't show that you don't really want it. It just shows you're not ready for it. So don't make the choice unless you are 100% sure that's what you want to do. And life now – you know, you know, for the next, what's the next steps for John Jackson? You're going to, you're going to be, uh, is there more pages? You're going to do a ninth book, maybe one in your own? Oh, we have published, I won't write my own book. We have published nine books now since we last spoke. They right. can update that. We are, we are at nine books, 4,500 pages. And 
we, yeah, we will keep going. We will keep writing curriculum. We will keep writing our books and we will keep spreading the word to anybody who wants to hear it. Um, that is our, that's how good you are. You wrote a book by the time I did the bio to the time we finished this podcast, <laughs> you wrote a book. That's how efficient you are. I, I, I wish it's, it's a, a we have a great team. Bio, we have a, <laughs> you set me up, man. We have a great team and we have great, <laughs> we have a great amount of people who support the work and believe in the work that we do. Just like you, Mark and Mick, who want to share your platform to let people know that Hustle 2.0 exists and let them know that Squaring Up exists. And there are so many people out there who are supportive of the work that I get to do and I have the opportunity to do that make it possible for us to write nine books that give us the possibility to write a book in six weeks, you know? I forgot we would one more question. I have one that I always ask and I nearly left it out. Oh, it's a short question. Yeah, and I'll ask it to I, everyone I, and I nearly I, lost I, I it. Max Delay, Max Delay saved us. So... One last question, and this is a, can be a short answer, mate, and we'll let you get to that sandwich wherever you had there. Um, so, so, John, I ask everyone this question when we interviewed him because I'm very big on, you know, dreams and aspirations and, and how, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, a child, you might have one vision and then life can take a different path, and you're, you know, proof of that as well. But I, I, would, be, I would love you to share with us when you were young, child or whatever age you, you can remember back to, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I think this is not a short answer, but I don't remember having a vision of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I think that's what allowed other people to tell me what, what they wanted me to be. If you don't have, I didn't have a vision for myself and that allowed other people to tell me my vision of what they thought I should be. So now I know that I, I, I have a vision for myself um, and that's to be, that's to use my story to create change in other people who might feel hopeless or be looked at and forgotten. And I want to be, I just want to be an agent for change, for positive change. Perfect. Uh, look, John, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of your work. I'm a big, uh, like from a distance of, of, um, you know, when I speak to you, I always feel so enriched. You know, you, you, you just come with such honesty and, and, you know, just vulnerability and just, just a, a, a life spent, you know, and, and, and I, and I mean that in a way where it's just so much to learn from you and so much to admire about how you're going about it, what you've done, what you've been through, how you survived that. And most of all, what you're doing to leave your kind of legacy as well. And, and it's, you should just be so proud of what you do, mate. You should be proud of who you are. And, and I think Hustle 2.0 should be very proud of what they're doing to enrich the lives of so, so many more. And, and I know these are only beginning. And I really look forward to seeing what you achieve, watching that, that journey. And I also look so forward to continuing um, to have you know, many conversations with you um, and learn from you and share with you and, and laugh with you and, uh, and, all, and all the rest that goes with that. So thank you for being a guest today, mate. It's been absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure that all our listeners and everyone else will so, will so enjoy um, what you've shared with us today. Uh, this is the third conversation that I've had with you. And I walk away, you know, not just right now, but, you know, throughout the day I'll be thinking about this. And ever since our last conversation, it's been uh, – it's yeah, it's made a really big impact, and I feel that this is what you're doing. 
over in the States with all, all the guys that you're working with. And I think it's really, it's fantastic. Keep on doing it and keep on improving like you have been. So yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark and Mick, for both having me here, sharing your platform, sharing the space. I'm grateful to have met and connected with both of you. And I know that the, this, the country of Australia, the men and women that you get to serve out there, they're grateful. They, they should be very grateful that you dedicate your time to creating change. Thank you for using your heart, your passion, your skills to create change for an overlooked population. It's our pleasure, mate. We do a small thing and hopefully has a big outcome. All right. Thank Bill. you very much. All right. Have a good one, John. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Yeah. Have a good day. Next week on A Time to Rebuild. I remember that my partner saying, what's the first thing you want to do when you get out? I said, to be honest, I said, just go for a walk down the street. Just you, me and the kids, we'll go down for a walk and just take everything in. Um, and, yeah, just the little things, like things don't, things people don't even think of. Um, that's that's what means the most to me now. Being able to kick the footy with my, my two in the two boys in the backyard. If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help. At ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. A way of helping us is to subscribe, share with friends and leave a review. If you want to take that next step, hit up our online store where you can purchase handcrafted wooden products. If you're sitting there going, I want to do everything I can, get a quote for facility maintenance needs at your business. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.